the gospel of the glory of God. John chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. First off, faith in me, faith in me, says Jesus, is a result of God the Father acting upon your soul. It's not the result of you looking at the information and making a human decision about what you are going to do with your life. It's not based on logic or fact or truth alone, though it is factual and though it is true. But it is a spiritual awakening that causes you to trust and want and sense who I am. And if this is happening to you, you need to know it's because the Father has been acting upon you before you ever were interested in the issue. God the Father is reaching out and drawing people to me. All right? This, this is Jesus saying. And it's written in the prophets, so he's elaborating his point further. It, it's written in the prophets. And they shall all be taught by God. What's he quoting? And he, I, you are right. This was my first guess, but you're the one who's right. My first guess was, maybe he's quoting Jeremiah 31, where it says, no longer in the new covenant, no longer will, will my people say to each other, the Lord for they will all know me from the least to the greatest I thought that's maybe what he was talking about but, but if you look at the phrase that's not precisely it's the same idea but it's not the phrase the phrase I think is Linda's verse that Carolyn just said but you quote it consistently in here it's about how you pray for your children. 54.13 All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. When? In the new covenant. Each one taught by the Lord. Each one taught. Jesus quotes this and saying, the reason somebody has faith in me is because this new covenant reality is coming about. And the only reason anyone ever has faith in me is because they are being taught by the Father. So if we, if you, if we thought, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian family. Lies. That probably helped, but that's not why. I'm a Christian because I'm smart enough to not think these other options are are worth taking. I, I mean, I'm not an idiot. I took the right call because I'm a good dude. Lies. You would never have picked him. Sure. Ever. 
you naturally would hate him. Don't you, don't you remember? You were born a slave to sin. You naturally hated God. Or, or, or are we reading a different Bible than each other? <laughs> so the fact of your trust in Jesus means the Father has been teaching you, drawing you, acting upon your soul to bring you to himself through his Son. It's supernatural. Your faith is more than a mere choice you made. And then right away, some people would be like, are you saying... I'll get to that in a minute. So, so I have some points. Point number one. Don't, don't erase anything you put there. Okay. Point number one. Faith is spiritual and revelatory. Faith is spiritual and revelatory. Faith is different than doctrine. Do you hear what I'm saying? Faith is different than beliefs. Beliefs are ideas in your head. Faith is living contact with the person of God. It is a leaning of the soul toward the reality of God. Okay? Faith is spiritual. Only God reveals God. Only God reveals God. Knowing God is supernatural. It is a gift. It is grace. Point number two. So point number one, faith is spiritual and revelatory. Point number two, and I'm basically being redundant, faith is the result of the Father's activity upon your soul. Your faith in Jesus is the result of the Father doing something to you, to me. The Father draws. The Father teaches. The Father instructs. The Father woos. The Father convicts. The Father calls. And without the Father's activity, Jesus says, no one would come. No one. No one would. But you have. So what does that mean? He's drawn you, and he's drawing you. He pursued you, and he's pursuing you. He, he chose you, and he's continuing to choose you. He set his affection on you, and he's committed to not letting you go. That's point number two. Faith is the result of the Father's activity upon the soul. Point number three. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them. I've been redundant about this. So we're naturally dead in transgressions and sins, and dead people don't make choices. We, dead people don't save themselves. They don't even take the hand of their rescuer. No, they're carried out. We've been raised from the dead. You chose him after you were awakened and brought to life. It was the first thing you did once your soul was born again, was choose Jesus. You weren't born again after you chose Jesus. You were born again, and that's what caused you to choose Jesus. I know, that gets sketchy quick, doesn't it? Because here's the question some people would immediately ask. Does this mean that God chose me and not other people? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Does this mean that I can't resist God's activity? Yeah, 
So if I can resist, so I can't, I can't respond unless he wakes me up and draws me, right? But I can resist. So I have a lot of friends that say, of course you can't resist. He's God and you're an idiot. You're just a little ant. They don't care about free choice. They care about God's choice. They think our theology makes way too big a deal of human dignity and way too small a deal about divine dignity. And I actually agree with them about what they just said there while disagreeing with them in the same way you do. Because <laughs> I'm like, dude, then he's a liar who says he loves the whole world, wants to save the whole world, but he's kidding. He's not serious. He I love you, uh, but most of you go to hell. The Father draws, the Father teaches. No one comes without Jesus. But can you resist the Father? I say yes. Yeah. I say yes. Yeah, if you couldn't, I think I'd be a better Christian by now. I mean, unless he's willing me to be less holy than Jesus, and I'm pretty sure it's his intention that I be just like Jesus. So why am I not? Is it his fault? So he must be... He must be resistible, right? And that's not on his end. It's the problem's on my end of the equation. It doesn't mean that God picks some and not others, but here's what it does mean. It does mean that the cause of my faith is not my goodness. It's not my goodness. It's not my track record. It's not my merit. It's not my smarts. It's not my good family origins. It's not my upbringing. Those are helpful things. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say no one can come to me unless they have a Christian family. He doesn't say that. No one can come to me unless their dad did a real good job preparing them to receive my love. Lies. No. No. That's not how it works. Sometimes the most screwed up emotionally of us on, the, on planet Earth are the ones who he ends up saying, see, see, look, they're entering the kingdom in front of those other people who had good childhood. Tax collectors and prostitutes entering the kingdom of heaven in front of the people whose upbringing was way better than theirs. Why? Because they knew their need and they were quicker to admit their need. They weren't playing as many games because they had no reason to because their life in this world, they didn't have a reputation to protect. Religion will give you a reputation worth protecting. It causes you to sometimes resist the thing you need, you know, which is to cash in all your chips and just declare a spiritual bankruptcy. But if you think... You have everything to lose by getting humble. Are you going to humble yourself? If you, if you know you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by humbling yourself, you're going to do it a lot quicker. So though it doesn't say no one can come to me unless they have the right family of origin. Nope. No one can come to me unless the Father draws. Okay. Our faith, your faith in mine, in Jesus, is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a, it's, a, it's a work of God. It's the result of the Father's pursuit and persistent drawing. And that truth ought to be something that moves us. I, I, know, I, know we're, I want us to be diligent about seeking God. You just heard me pray about us seeking God. But we have to remember and keep before our eyes the fact that he is seeking us. He is pursuing us and he's acting upon us. And that is why we want him. If you want him at all, it's evidence he is acting upon your soul. We're too quick to look at the, the lack and not 
quick enough to look at what's right and give God glory for it. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's, our, our salvation is a crazy miracle that should continuously keep us surprised and awed. Another thing is, Jesus says, uh, if anyone sets themselves to do God's will, he'll know. If anyone sets himself to do God's will, he'll know. And then he said, over here he's saying a really similar thing. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And then he quotes the Old Testament, they will all be taught by God. Faith is revelatory. If you are listening to the Father, if you're taught by God, you're going to come to Jesus. You, you agree with that? Certainly Jesus agrees with that. Because that's what he's arguing. Prove to us, Jesus. Prove to us that you are who you, who you say you are. And he goes, if you knew my father, you would know me. That's hard, by the way. That's a hard word. He, he does not pull punches. Jesus is the litmus test of knowing God, is my point. That's point number four. Jesus is the litmus test. Response to Jesus is the, not just of people, but of all things. Angels, spirits. World systems, political systems, Jesus is the litmus test, right? It's what I told you the other day with the, with the question about so-and-so sees things. I said, okay, what does that spirit, how is that spirit that gives that power, how is it, I'm not, I'm not interested in what you can do by the gifts of the spirit. To, to tell whether it's of God, I don't ask what the gift is. I ask what the spirit that drives the gift what is its heart orientation toward Jesus? Does it honor, love, submit to, and glorify Jesus? If it does, it's holy. Does it choke on Jesus? Does it want... <clears throat> There's certain angels that they come to people and they give them spiritual gifts so that the person will make much of that angel. It's in the New Testament, and it's in our life. It's in people in our generation. I'm not going to name names, but I've seen it, and it bothers me. Where they talk about the angel that came to them, and they have the angel's name is this, and, and, then they do, and then they function in crazy spirit supernatural gifts, and it doesn't glorify Jesus. And I want nothing to do with it. If it's not about Jesus, from Jesus, for Jesus, lifting up the name of Jesus, you can tell the, the test of the Spirit in John, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, not every spirit that goes out comes from God. Test the spirits. Every spirit that says, yes, Jesus has come in the flesh and he is Lord, is of God. The test of a prophet is fruit. The test of a spirit is its orientation around Jesus. They're very connected. Those things are very connected. But some people have the doctrine right and lack the fruit. Because the motive's wrong. And that's, that's one of the weird last times things that happens. Where Paul says, some people preach Christ to get me in prison and make them punish me more. Praise God, Christ is being preached, but those people are getting nothing in, in eternity. Are, am I making any sense? Yeah. Okay. Response to Jesus is the litmus test of knowing God. No one can come unless the Father teaches. Faith in Jesus is supernaturally revealed. Everyone who knows the Father and who's really listening to the Father will go, yes. So this is the crazy thing. Sometimes our missionaries have gone to people, like island nations. 
We show up and they go, oh my word. We tell them about Jesus. We open our Bibles. We try to explain who Jesus is. And they go, oh my word, our ancestors dreamt about you. Our ancestors dreamt about you. You're the pale people with the banana leaves of God. We are the pale people with the banana leaves of God. Now, did their ancestors go to hell? They put their faith in the message about Jesus. They didn't know his name yet, but they were looking forward to the day he would come. Did, da- did King David know the name Jesus? But he knew the spirit of Jesus. Now, wouldn't David like to live in our day? And wouldn't those island people's ancestors like to live in their day? Where the God they, they trusted but didn't yet have full revelation of finally sent the people who had it to unpack the mystery so that they couldn't just sort of have a little bit of faith, but they could actually know forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And those people, like, here's how I picture it. It's like with Cornelius. Cornelius knew God. And therefore, when Peter came and told him about Jesus, it was like, yes. I've heard somebody say, do you want to receive Jesus? The person said, yes, I've loved him all my life. I've just never known his name. The, I'm telling you guys, the Father is not limited to your and my activity. The kingdom is bigger than the church. He's not limited to, to, to your and my activity. Now, am I saying all roads lead to God? That's actually, absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm saying everyone who listens to God will acknowledge Jesus. Are you hearing me? I'm not, I'm not taking the narrow way and going, whatever. I'm saying God's moving on people. That's why people get saved. It's because God's moving on people. I love this thing about and they shall all be taught by God. I love it so much. Jesus envisions, Isaiah 54, 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. This is just his mindset. He says it to Peter, flesh and blood. Haven't re- who, who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the spirit of my father. It's funny, like one, two sentences later, he tells him, get behind me, Satan. Welcome to our world where one minute we can be led by the Spirit and the next minute, <laughs> oops, <laughs> take a detour and need to, yeah. re- and need to get slapped. And, but that's our world. We have the freedom to be led by the Lord, walk in the flesh, get bitter by the evil spirits that tempt us. To You should take up offense. You should harbor that thought. You should go to bed angry. <laughs> you should send them an angry text. Give them a piece of your mind. It's time for justice. Jesus envisions every single one of of the new covenant people. So he was keenly aware, I'm bringing the new covenant. And in the time that he brought, because we're in it, we're in it now. We're in it. We're in the better covenant. That's what Hebrews calls the covenant we're in. The better covenant. In the better covenant, every one of you has the spirit. 
Every one of you knows the Father. Every one of you, least to greatest, no matter what kind of spiritual gifts you have, loud ones, quiet ones, serving ones, helping ones, planning ones, doing ones, arts and crafts, computer tech, music, work, building things, breaking things, matter because that's somebody's somebody's like a little kid breaking block things that other people build as a kid and then they fast forward 20 years and there's a wrecking ball <laughs> no matter what shape personality you are no matter how what age you are Jesus envisions this kingdom he knows he's bringing as one in which every single person hears from God knows God walks with God is discipled by God and by the way he was the first one of this group they say, how do you know all this? You've not been to seminary. And he's like, oh, I have. I have. I spent my whole life in seminary. It's called knowing my heavenly father. It's called hearing his voice, listening to his voice. It's called I'm here to do the will of God. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. It is written of me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. The Father glorifies Jesus by doing signs and wonders through him. Jesus glorifies the Father by laying his life down. I have no idea why that makes me emotional. But he envisions, Jesus envisions every single son or daughter in his kingdom being individually taught by the Father, experiencing God, knowing God. He takes for granted this is not a rarity. It's not spiritual people. It's not for prophets, for sages, for priests, or anointed kings. It's for everyone. And then Paul took the same theme, and I think he took the same theme because of his Damascus encounter. And he says, okay, this is how you get saved. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Listen to the word of the Lord. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. What did I say a little bit ago? No one can come to Jesus unless the Father does something to us. I said faith is supernatural. It's a miracle. It's a, it's a result. Our coming to Jesus, our seeing him as he is and delighting in him, trusting in him, is a result of, of the Father's activity upon us. And here, Paul says, there's another spiritual force at work in the world, keeping people from seeing it. The God of this age has blinded, not the eyes, the minds of unbelievers, so that what? So they can't see, and then here's some very strange language, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's a lot of theological words, words piled in a short sentence. What is glory? Well, you know I looked that up in my Greek lexicon. Doxa. I'm going to take two and a half pages of, of dictionary and summarize it in just three very short sentences. Glory primarily means the radiance, 
the brightness, the shining that emanates from a thing. That's the first sense. The light that radiates. Remember the angels show up and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and the shepherds were what? Sore afraid, whatever that's the King James. They were sore afraid. I guess that means they were very afraid. The glory shone. That means a very, very bright light. So that's the first meaning of the word glory is brightness, shining, radiance, or beauty. Second meaning of glory. It's a synonym for greatness or magnificence or splendor. Like the glory of Jerusalem. Yeah, the glory of Israel is Jerusalem. The The glory of Jerusalem is Mount Zion. The glory of Mount Zion is the temple. The glory of the temple is the ark in the Holy of Holies. You see what I mean? The greatness, the majesty, the splendor. The glory of, of my glory is who? My wife. The, the glory of man is woman. The glory of Christ is man. The light coming off of a thing. Am I making sense? Yeah. Uh-huh. Jesus is viewed as the Hebrews 1.3, the radiance of the Father. So the glow coming from the Father is Jesus. And then the third sense of glory is to glorify, which means to to give someone fame, to make someone famous, to make someone renowned, to give someone prestige. So, So when I speak well of my wife, I'm glorifying her. When I'm raising public opinion of my wife by talking to you guys about her virtues, I'm glorifying her. And you go, oh, we're not supposed to glorify anyone but God. We're going to share in the Father's glory. He's going to praise us for our faithfulness. Now, that doesn't mean anyone's going to worship us. That's not the same. Did you know everything in heaven has a measure of glory, a different kind of glory? And and crossing the line that I talk about so many times using this carpet edge When we cross over the line into eternity, we're entering into the Lord's glory. The saints in glory. So glory is used in all these kinds of ways in the Bible. Uh, Oh, by the way, if you ever watch the movie Troy, Achilles, he's obsessed with gaining glory for himself because he knows that humans are here and they die and then are forgotten. But if he can do great military, military exploits in his life, then they will tell the stories forever and he will attain immortality and glory. Interesting. That's talking about the reputation thing. That's not talking about the glory of God. But that's how the Greeks talked about glory. That's not how the New Testament talks about glory. The dictionary told me that. The Greek dictionary specifically said that. In Greek literature... Reputation and honor are the primary sense. Interestingly, this usage is not in the New Testament. And I'm like, yes. Because that's not our value system. Our value system is not boasting. Our value system is bringing Jesus, making, making our boast in the Lord, making his name great, making his name famous. Not saying, look at me and my gifts. I'm a great prophetic word giver. That's gross. Ugh, yuck, that's worldly. Look how all the people I healed praise me. 
Look how great at preaching I am. Praise me. Yuck. Christians look at that and go, ooh, let's not make that guy the pastor anymore till he's humble. That's gross. We want someone who loves Jesus. We want someone who knows Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the giver of gifts. Jesus is the lover of souls. Jesus is the source. He's the treasure. And the irony is that's the person God goes, ah, yes, isn't he great? <laughs> isn't she wonderful? Look at her. She gave more than everyone else in the treasury that day, says Jesus. Notice that she didn't lift herself up. He did. She lifted up God. Paul says, Paul says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the gospel of the glory, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. What do you mean? They're blind to the radiance. The devil causes people not to feel awe and attraction and beauty. So Jesus is offered and instead of seeing beauty and light and radiance and they go, why? Because, they're, because there's been a power acting upon their soul, a spiritual power acting upon their soul. Remember I said, if you have faith in Jesus, there's been a spiritual power acting upon your soul. Paul's saying, and the opposite is true if you hate Jesus, if you're not interested in Jesus, if, he's total, if your heart is dead to Jesus, it's because a power has been acting upon your soul. You've been dulled, you've been blinded, you've been blindfolded, you've been numbed. You're blind to beauty. Because the gospel is the good news about the radiant beauty of Jesus. Beauty will save the world. And then in the same passage, he says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil comes off, the eyes open, and now we're the, the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And then we all, with unveiled faces, are peering intently at the beauty of God seen in the face of Jesus. As we stare, we're being transformed into that same image. That's how you change. And that's what saves the world. Beauty, the beauty of God, seen in Jesus, transforms, liberates, saves the world. If you can see it, it's, it's because God's been acting upon you. If you can't see it, you've been operating in the wrong spirit. I just think it's so intriguing. Faith, my friends, is spiritual and revelatory. It's not just intellectual. It's not, it is intellectual, but it's not just intellectual. It's not, we have beliefs, we have doctrine, but they don't save. All my life, I was told, believe these things, pray this prayer, and you're saved. As though right belief saves us instead of right relationship with Jesus. And we know good works don't save us. Believing the right things can be a good work. But faith is feasting. Beauty is different than a statement of fact. And the kind of faith we have is the faith that sees the light of the radiance of the beauty of God as we look at, as we look at Jesus. That's different. 
The appreciation of beauty is a different thing, I think, than the agreement with a doctrinal assertion. Uh, Jesus died to save you. I agree with that. That's not necessarily faith to say I agree with that, is it? But looking at him, the, the appreciation of beauty. Am I making any sense? I'm laboring this point. This is supernatural. There's a song I've been singing this week in response to this teaching. Pierce Pettis' song, You Move Me. And he says, Here's how life seems to me. Life is like therapy. It's real expensive with no guarantees. And as I lay on the couch with my heart hanging out, I was frozen in fear like a rock in the ground. But you move me. You give me courage I didn't know I had. You move me. I can't go with you and stay where I am. So you move me. Notice he's, it's a double entendre. He doesn't just say, you're moving me from here to here. He's saying, you move me. You move me. I feel you. you, you I'm in awe of you. You affect me. You do something to me. And what you do to me has set me free. Yeah, here's how love was to me. I could look and not see going through the emotions, not knowing what they mean. And it scared me so much that it just wouldn't budge. And I might have stayed there forever, if not for your touch. But you move me out of myself and into the fire. You move me, burning with love and hope and desire. Oh, you move me. Amen. Guys, you trust him because he's seeking you.